So today we are chatting with a man called Donal O'Leary, who is an environmental consultant and the composting king. Yes, uh, it's a really super informative, fun episode that smashes all myths and tricks about home composting. And Donal is on a mission to get us all composting. And I'm talking everyone, from complete beginners to people who need a bit of guidance on getting their composting formula right. Everyone can give it a go, and it's a great way to reduce their food waste and play a part in creating a healthier ecosystem. It's a winner! Now, Donal was great to chat to because, my God, does he love composting. Like, he just smiled the entire way through our chat. And, gee, I don't know, but he really knows his stuff. Did you get that from him too, Jack? Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, Donal runs an environmental and food waste consultancy called Waste Down. So in his day-to-day work, he spends lots of time working with school groups, community groups, and so on. But he also works commercially with companies who want to compost. And he recently joined the team at CUSP. So this is the Cork Urban Soil Project. So he's going to give us an update on that too. Yeah, and the, the CUSP project, for anyone who's a regular listener of the podcast, you'd remember that we had a chat with Virginia O'Gara, mm-hmm. who is one of the kind of initiators, founders of that. And she explained completely the project. It's super interesting. So it's about how food waste is not waste at all. And it's a great listen. So go back and have a listen to that if you haven't. But for the majority of today's chat, Donal is going to give us the lowdown on how to get to grips with home composting. So think this podcast more as a workshop because we are going to be looking at how nature provides the blueprint for creating great compost. What are the reasons we should all be doing this in the first place? What are the mistakes that composting newbies make and how can we rectify them? And we're also going to look at a few different composting methods, including traditional compost bins, wormeries, and Bokashis and get some great examples of where these systems have been used. And finally, if composting was to become a more integrated part of all of our lives, what would that mean for the future? Yeah, so we're also going to include loads of links to other resources and his own website himself. So check that out in the show notes. But uh, let's get back to the very, very start and find out how Donal found himself on this composting journey and what motivates him to advocate for it. So when I was uh, younger in the 1990s, I was uh, I studied psychology in UCC and I didn't really feel like continuing in that field uh, and com- committing more time to further study. So mm. instead, I was working various jobs and I started working in a bakery in Macomb. It was a, ah. a large, busy bakery. Okay. And it was producing a lot of like the, the mass produced slice pans and so on for uh, one of the big national supermarkets. Mm-hmm. And I became very aware of the amount of waste that was happening in the bakery. So it seemed to be factored in as, as part of the process. It didn't seem to be really a problem. Yeah. And it just through inefficient processes and lack of communication. So on, there was a huge amount of waste of, of dough, of finished bread, of electricity, of wrapping and packaging and so on. And when I finished my time at the bakery, I, I just came to a point where I didn't want to work there any longer for various reasons and I I had been thinking for a while that surely businesses could save money by reducing waste by yeah. just you know you can increase your bottom line by cutting down on, on your costs and sure. obviously waste if the cost of waste could be reduced then then everything could be improved 
And I, I just got interested in the whole area of waste management. I suppose I'd been interested in environmental issues for quite a while at that stage. Yeah. And I became especially interested in organic waste. I was doing a lot of composting at home and noticing what was going on there, noticing the different creatures that were living in the compost pile and sure. really enjoying the process of transformation that happens when, when you make compost and when you learn to make it well. I guess yeah. even if you make it badly, over time, it's going to turn into good compost anyway, if you've enough space and so on to do that. And Okay, so there's hope for everyone, you're saying that? There, there absolutely is hope for everyone. Compost happens. I've, uh, I, I used to have a t-shirt years ago. I wore it so much that the, the writing has faded now, but it just says compost happens. Uh, <laughs> it's a version of a more well-known phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. And like it will happen. It's it's a natural process trying to happen. The only way it doesn't happen is if if you make conditions impossible for it for it to happen. Mm, yeah. And so I, I got really interested in that. And I suppose I was lucky enough that um that I was able to communicate that with people. And I think my first paid job was I was hired by um, the North Cork County Council Housing Department to do a few um, workshops with some groups, some, some housing groups in, in North Cork communities. And I, yeah, I found that, that I was able to talk to a group and, and communicate with them and hopefully they knew what I was talking about. Okay. And I, I just moved into it more and more in... in 2009, I got involved with the Stop Food Waste Project, which was a, a national project with, um, with state funding, mm-hmm. working with communities in food waste prevention and composting. And I thought that's when I really was able to reach a lot of people and do, sure. do a lot of work in the area. Okay, so you're actually, you're an environmental consultant. Now, this is actually what you do, isn't it? Like you bring training and support and you kind yeah. of teach people how to make compost. Basically, yeah, yeah wow wow what a career like that's that's amazing i i wonder did you ever think that back in the day when you were a young fella that this is where you would end up certainly not no i think yeah (laughs) very good so why should we compost like why why is it important to to do this well there are so many reasons i suppose number one um it's really invaluable i have found in in my life in my experience it's it's a really pleasant thing to do to see that transformation, to see that alchemy of turning something which might otherwise be a bit yucky and a bit unpleasant mm. and smelly and so on into something that that's really looks nice, smells nice and really does does wonders for your soil and for your plants. Yeah. So yeah. it's a pleasant experience. But I suppose from an environmental point of view, it's it's so important for for many, many reasons. Like uh, we all know about climate change, compost mm. for a number of reasons helps to reduce the, um, the impacts of, of climate change or our or impacts on the environment. Like, I suppose, um, if you don't compost, your, your food waste and your garden waste is probably going to end up in a pile somewhere or buried under a heap somewhere, in which case, in which case there's going to be no oxygen getting to that material and in which case it's going to be decomposing anaerobically without oxygen okay and, and then you're going to have uh, issues with methane gas and other mm. other noxious gases and greenhouse gases going to the atmosphere that's one thing yeah um our soil needs to be built back up we've lost a huge amount of topsoil we're constantly losing topsoil 
okay. the best way to do that is to, to introduce organic matter to the soil, which introduces okay. living creatures, which help to hold the soil together. Mm-hmm. And I suppose a lot of us, when we think of compost, we think of something you go into a shop or a garden centre and buy in a bag. Yeah. And generally speaking, in 99.9 cases out of 100, that's not compost. It's named compost, but it's actually peat moss. Okay. Yeah. Peat moss is harvested from the bogs, and mm-hmm. that's an environmentally very unsound practice. Yeah. As yeah. Bogs, the bogs should be kept intact as much as possible. They're a, a great store of carbon. They keep carbon in the ground and not mm-hmm. in the atmosphere, which, which helps to reduce any impacts of, of carbon in the atmosphere. Um, they're a, a great um, habitat for biodiversity. And yeah. if we dig out those, then, then we lose that biodiversity. And compost that you make yourself is so much better for your soil. Like okay. peat moss is, is it's basically an inert substance. Yeah. But for pretty dead places, there, there isn't much oxygen in the bogs. There isn't much life in the soil of the bogs. So mm-hmm. you dig something out and put it in your garden, you're basically putting a, quite a dead substance. Yeah. So living that's, compost. That's an interesting point because you see a lot of those um, compost bags for sale now that are reduced peat or peat free. That's obviously a move to, towards that and the recognition yeah. that the bogs are so important, like, isn't it? Absolutely. absolutely yeah. 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 I guess another thing that would be, um, I suppose, uh, important would be food waste, like that you're not, you're not, um, you're not wasting your food. You're generating it into something new as well, isn't it? Yes. Like, I suppose in, you know, even when you go to a, a school, even the primary school children know the mantra of reduce, reuse, recycle. Mm-hmm. And composting is not at the, the top of that pyramid in that recycling is, composting is recycling. Okay. But the most important thing is that we try to generate as little food waste as possible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like food waste costs, costs the country a lot of money. It costs the environment in, in many ways. It, it's socially very very costly mm-hmm. and there's about a million tons of food thrown out in Ireland every year so the most important thing is not to have that food waste in the first place yeah 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 avoiding so, landfill as well I suppose in many ways too, isn't it? <laughs> yes yeah. Avoiding landfill, yeah. And, sorry when you do reduce your food waste then anything that can be composted should be composted and then as you say you are making the best of that material yeah that makes sense so like I guess a lot of people have a big fear about composting. Would you agree? I, I or are you like absolutely there is no fear for composting? No, no. <laughs> there are there are fears, there are valid fears. And I suppose there the the fears come about through the fact that a lot of us through no fault of our own compost badly. Mm. When you compost badly things go wrong like mm. it's very tempting it's like when when people start composting in almost all cases the way to do it is go into your local hardware shop or garden center and buy a 40 or 50 euro plastic compost bin put it in your garden and start composting but mm. you're doing that without any knowledge of the process without any knowledge of how to do it or yeah. any knowledge of how to avoid the problems Okay. So people set up a compost bin, they usually put it out of the way somewhere in the corner of the garden or next to the hedge or next to the wall or something. And they bring out their their food scraps, their fruit and vegetable peelings, and they chuck them in the bin, put the lid back on and walk away and do the same thing a few days later. 
and after a while they realize that either it's smelling really bad or there's a lot of flies around mm. it or rodents have come to live in it yeah yeah and yeah. It, it's it's these are all very obvious problems and problems that can come about very easily and in the case of something like rats there are problems that we don't want to have near our homes but they're very very avoidable problems yeah yeah have have you ever had the fear of compost jack i i, I have because i did exactly what donald uh, just explained that people do yeah <laughs> i think i i've been victim to that too actually started <laughs> a compost heap decided that if I throw enough vegetable peelings down on top of it um, that it'll start looking wonderful and dark and brown smelling great and everything because I didn't have a clue how to how to actually compost can you can you maybe could you maybe tell us oh, absolutely yeah so I suppose the the most important thing to understand about composting is it's a living process you're trying to get all of these living creatures such as bacteria and fungi and other microorganisms to work on your behalf. And they need certain conditions. They're living creatures, they need food, but they also need air and they need water, uh, but they need not too much water. So um, what you're trying to do is set up conditions that, that these creatures can survive and thrive in. So where it happens naturally, I think when I do a composting talk to a group, I always start off talking about forest because it's, it's for one thing, it's, it's Ireland's natural environment. You know, if we hadn't interfered with, with nature so much or cleared nature for our own purposes, there would be a lot more forest in Ireland than there is. So that's kind of the, the baseline. So if you take a walk in the forest this week, the trees are just waking up. They're, you know, the... the wild garlic is coming up, the wood anemones, the bluebells are becoming soon, so you've all the ground uh, flora, and then you the, the leaves are coming on the trees. As the weather warms up, you have a lot of insect life, the bird life will be starting soon, the birds will be active, there is nesting season, the birds will be gathering food for their chicks, you have mammals such as hedgehogs, badgers, etc. will be snuffing around looking for food, they'll be like finding worms, finding slugs, finding bugs, and all of these creatures they eat, so they go to the toilet, they do their droppings, um, even the little insects, the little gnats or whatever, they eat, they go to the toilet. And so you've all this material falling on the forest floor. One day the animal dies, it falls on the forest floor. Then come the autumn, the, the trees withdraw their, their nutrients back into themselves and the leaves turn brown and fall on the ground. Mm. And then the winter, you have storms, the twigs break off, the trees fall on the ground. And in, in the following springs, the cycle starts again. So what happens on the floor of the forest is it doesn't just, all this fallen material doesn't just build up and build up and turn into a, a pile that you can't walk through anymore. It decomposes, it breaks down. And that happens through the action of bacteria and fungi. So they eat all of the, um, the, the fallen leaves, the twigs, the animal droppings, the dead animals, fruit that doesn't eat me all the blackberries and crab apples and so on that haven't been eaten by the animals just wither and fall on the ground all of these things get decomposed get composted mm. and get turned into what's called humus or organic matter so if you go into the forest this week and scrape the forest floor you'll find like the remnants of last year's leaves if you dig down below that you find a layer of dark brown crumbly mm. 
material called compost. Mm -hmm. And that's that's how the forest feeds itself. Like the, all the nutrients that these massive living creatures, trees, need to take from the soil is generated by this beautifully closed loop mm. recycling process. Mm -hmm. And you know, we never need to bring in a bag of fertilizer to feed the forest, it feeds itself. So we're trying to emulate that or kind of bring those conditions into our home composting or our school composting or our work composting. So on the forest floor, all the materials are not piled up in one place, they're spread out. Because not all the animals go to the toilet in one place, not all the animals die in one place, not all the leaves fall in one place. It's all spread out, so it's not very compacted. We have a compost bin or a compost pile at home, and we're putting a lot of stuff in the same place, and it does get very compacted, and it doesn't, it doesn't allow air in. So that really slows down or even stops the composting process, because what happens is bacteria and fungi and other creatures don't have the oxygen that they need to function. Mm -hmm. Then it goes anaerobic, it becomes smelly, and it stops working. Okay. And another thing, just going back to the forest, you know, you have all the leaves and twigs falling. These, in composting terms, are what are called brown materials. Mm -hmm. Don't contain very much nutrients, but they contain a lot of what's called carbon. Your trees breathe in carbon dioxide through photosynthesis and breathe out oxygen, and they build their bodies with carbon. So everything that a tree drops, especially in winter, it contains a lot of carbon. And the, the other thing that you need in composting are what are called green materials. So these are what we tend to have a lot of in, in the home, you know, things like your fruit and vegetable waste, your, your grass cuttings, things like that, soft, wet materials. Mm -hmm. They contain a lot more nitrogen than, than the brown materials. So you have brown materials containing a lot of carbon, green materials containing a lot of nitrogen. It's a bit technical, but once you think of it in different terms, it, it works. So the carbon and nitrogen provide a balanced diet for the, the bacteria and fungi. Mm. But if you put it another way, the grass cuttings, the food waste, and in the forest, the, the forest versions of that would be the animal droppings and the dead animals and the fallen fruit. These are the soft, wet, juicy, smelly materials. If you're filling your compost bin with just those, then what happens is your compost bin is really wet, really heavy, really compacted, and it just turns into a, a very smelly sludge. Whereas we should be trying to introduce more of the forest situation where it's not compacted, where it's been lighter, a bit fluffier, and there's air able to pass throughout the pile. So we should be introducing brown materials and lots of brown materials yeah. into composting. Yeah. It could be things like paper, cardboard, these come from trees, you know, mm -hmm. brown cardboard boxes are beautiful in compost, especially the kind of corrugated um, cardboard because that contains a lot of airspace. Um, autumn leaves, you know, collect your autumn leaves, add into your compost pile. Like I always tell people in the autumn, just if you have the space next to your compost bin, then make a big ring of chicken wire or something, collect as many autumn leaves as you can and fill up your ring of chicken wire. And then come the spring, when you're potting your grass or whatever, don't just chuck a big pile of grass in the compost bin, lay it on the ground, add an equal quantity of leaves and put the mix into the compost bin. Yeah. Because what you're doing then is you're introducing this air space, you're making the whole thing fluffier and lighter in texture by adding this kind of um, drier, fluffier brown material mm -hmm. to soft, stodgy green material. Yeah.
Makes perfect sense. Do you know what I love there was the comparison to the forest. It's amazing how nature has just given us the blueprint for everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like in 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 previous times, I suppose it back, you know, go back several generations to nomadic times, then it would have been very simple, you know, you, you finish eating your apple, you chuck the apple core away mm. and mm. just land somewhere and either somebody else eats it or it grows an apple tree. Yeah. And even in, you know, as as farmers, we would have had a, a midden or a, a dung heap and all of our organic waste would balance that. But as we become more organized, more settled and more confined in space, we've been forced to do a lot more activities in, in a smaller space and it's become mm. more difficult to do things like composting. Mm. But on the other hand, the the um the experiences and the research and the technology if you want to call that very low tech technology in general but the, um, the wisdom around composting has improved enormously so like we we're not confined just using a plastic compost bin that, mm. that doesn't work for us anymore yeah and I, i'd just like to say a bit more about that like i visited a lot of schools as part of my work and quite often schools do the same thing they buy a compost bin they set it up and they think they're going to compost in it and they just chuck all their you know kids chuck all their fruit and vegetable waste into the fruit waste into the compost bin so you've a compost bin full of banana skins apple mm. cores and quite often in schools whole apples whole oranges whole mm. bananas as well because you know the child doesn't want to eat its, it's banana it wants to eat something else or wants to go play football or something mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but you get a very compacted impossible to compost situation Mm. And so I'm always encouraging schools, especially, but households as well, if it's um, fruit and vegetable waste that they're dealing with primarily, then move away, if possible, from the plastic compost bin. If you're going to use plastic compost bin, put in loads and loads of raw material, straw and hay or other good ones, sawdust, wood shavings, you know, it's even worse, perhaps, going to a a pet shop and buying um, a bag of pet bedding. Okay, right. And using that as your raw material. So like for every, you know, small bucket of, of kitchen waste that you bring to your compost bin, add the same quantity of raw materials and mix them all together. Mm, yeah. Um, do you know what was interesting there? You mentioned two kind of big words that sound very similar to each other, but they're quite different. Aerobic and anaerobic. And mm-hmm. when you mentioned as well about the chicken wire and the, the leaves and the air coming into that, would that be the complete opposite then to these big plastic drums that are holding all the air in the, and they don't have that filtration of air going around it? Is that the difference between aerobic and anaerobic? To, to a large extent, yes, yes. Like you have the ability for air to pass in from the outside or even from underneath, you know. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm just getting over a cold, so. That's okay. Not for a while, I get a yours to cough. Um, like another thing that people can do even with their plastic compost bin is when you're starting off your compost bin, create a space at the bottom, you know, put a layer of sticks and maybe okay. a pallet or something at the bottom and create a bit of space underneath and air can start moving up from the soil. The soil is mm. full of, you know, mm. weeds and it allows oxygen to pass up. So you can, that will help with the compost bin. But um, so, yeah, allowing air to get in any way you can and trying to avoid compaction is the other 
Mm. You know, getting your ground materials in just to create that airspace within the compost pile. Okay. It's a bit like making a cake. You know, you don't want your cake too stodgy. You want it nice and fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, you don't want your cake too dry. You don't okay. want your compost pile too dry. So yeah. if you're putting in a lot of brown materials and it's a lot of, we say, dry cardboard, dry newspaper, stuff like that. And if you have your compost pile or your compost bin in a sunny place and you get the kind of weather that we're getting today, you know, really sunny and maybe yeah. a little wind, your compost can dry out too much. That's That will also stop it. Okay. But having said that, I'd rather my compost too dry than too wet. Mm. It's very bad water to a dry compost pile. It's not so easy to dry out and loosen up a very wet, compacted compost pile, you know? Okay. So it would obviously add a lot of raw materials, put in during the forest, you know, lots of leaves. And again, using the forest as an example, I know it's, it's always nice to put in during the forest anyway, isn't it? Um, another thing about the forest is everything's spread out, you know, you've, you, know, you can walk through, you can kick the leaves, you mm. have dogs and badgers snuffling around and they're mixing everything up. So again, you're trying to avoid compaction. You're trying to introduce a bit of uh, lightness and looseness mm. in your compost pile. So, if you've, um, you know, something like a, a ring of chicken wire, then maybe every so often it's no harm to get a pitchfork and just turn it all and loosen it up. Mm. If you have one of the tall plastic compost bins, you can get a, a tool. It's like, it, it's a bit like a corkscrew that you just screw down into it and pull up mm -hmm. and, and pull up and just it lifts and lightens everything, you know. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, different composting methods, things that I've heard of, like uh, wormeries, bokashi yeah. um, bins. Yeah. Um, talk to us about, about those kind of different composting methods. Okay. So, um, I'll talk about bokashi first. It's a Japanese word, B O K S H I. It's not actually composting. Okay. It, in a way, it's kind of anti composting. But it's it's basically it's a way of pickling or fermenting your food waste. Mm. So when you come when you use um, bokashi in the home, which is generally how it's done, you would probably have two buckets or two containers. Mm. It's very important the containers have um, drainage at the bottom because food waste contains a lot of moisture. You have to let the water out. If if you're if you're putting food waste in a container that doesn't let the moisture out. Mm. Um, it's going to stink, it's going to be absolutely horrible. With Bokeshi, you have um, a, a medium, usually it's bran, like a wheat bran or an oat bran, a grain bran, or mm. it can be sawdust, can be shredded paper, but the medium, let's call it the bran, has been inoculated with um, what's called EM, effective microorganisms, mm. with a mixture of yeast and other bacteria, like lactobacteria. And the, the reason you put it into the bran is you can keep it dry. So basically, you make a liquid culture of yeast and lactobacteria. You soak your bran in this liquid and you allow it to dry. And then mm -hmm. you have dormant effective microorganisms in your bran. Mm -hmm. So when you're composting, or I keep saying composting, when you're using bokashi in your home, you put your food waste, can include meat or fish or dairy or other... Okay. And these would be things um, you wouldn't usually. normally put into your compost yeah, exactly, bin, yes. your traditional you, compost bin. Yeah, I mean, you can compost anything. Anything that was ever alive can be composted. Mm -hmm. But if you put meat, fish, dairy, oils into your compost bin, you're making it more likely to be smelly and more likely to attract rodents. You know? So okay. 
in general, you, you recommend that people don't in a kind of normal home composting system mm-hmm. uh, unless it's you know, designed for those, for those materials. Mm-hmm. But with Bokashi, you, you have your food waste, your you know, plate scrapings, your own eating food, whatever. You chop it up in small pieces. And that's, that's important with any kind of composting, really. Mm. Chop things up in small pieces. You create more surface area for the microorganisms to work on. You know, if you put a big mm-hmm. pumpkin leftover pumpkin from Halloween into your compost bin, mm. six months later, still going to be sitting there, but unless you chop it up in small pieces, no? Yeah. So with your Bokashi, you chop everything up in small pieces, put it into your Bokashi bucket, which you can either buy or you can make. That's very simple. Um, again, you, you, you might give my email address, you know, if anyone ever wants to contact me. You know, I do work for a living, but I don't charge. You know, if someone wants to email me or phone me, I mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely no we, we'll put in um a link to your company waste down and um definitely if people want to contact you yeah, that'd be yeah, that'd um, be great that you the the email is open <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm, like i'm always happy to support people who want to, to compost yeah um so with bokashi chop your food waste up you put it into your bucket which as i said must have drainage and then you add a sprinkle of the, um, the bran Mm. which contains the effective microorganisms. So when they come in contact with the moist food waste, they become active and they start fermenting or pickling your food waste. Okay. And this is an, it's a fermentation process. So it's actually anaerobic. It's not okay. composting. It's just like making cheese, making mm. beer, making other things where you sourdough bread. You exclude the oxygen. So you, you, you keep the lid on the bucket you, when you put the material in, you squash it down, press out all the air, you replace the bucket, and the, um, the effect, effective microorganisms start composting or start fermenting the food waste. Mm. So you keep filling the bucket until it's full, then you start filling your second bucket with the same process, adding your bran every time you put in your food waste. By the time the second bucket is full, the contents of the first bucket will have been fermented or pickled. Gotcha. It'll kind of it was a smell kind of sweet sour you know like um okay. like sauerkraut or fermented product mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to if you just put your food waste in a bucket without fermenting it mm-hmm. it's gonna stink it's going to smell putrefied mm-hmm. huh? so mm-hmm. this is moving away from the putrefaction into a different process you're introducing introducing a different type of anaerobic organism okay. into favorable conditions to pickle or ferment your food waste Number mm-hmm. one, it means you can keep your food waste in your house for a few weeks if mm. you're very yeah. hard to live in an apartment or something. And number two, it means that when you do want to dispose of your food waste, you, you can bring it and either dig a trench in your garden and bury it. Mm. Or if you have a big enough compost pile, you can bury your, your fermented food waste within the compost pile. Because it's been fermented, it decomposes really quickly. Okay. When you open the bucket and look at it, it looks just like how you put it in. It's been preserved, basically. It's been pickled. Mm. Except there might be a white mold growing on it. Right. But once you bury it in, once you return to aerobic soil or compost conditions, mm. it starts decomposing really quickly once the aerobic materials get to work or aerobic organisms get to work in it because it's already been fermented. Okay. Yeah, so it make, yeah it makes sense. Um, so that's Bokashi and regular composting. What other kind of composting methods are there? Worries. Oh, yeah. sorry. There's more. There's more. My apologies. I I, I went ahead of you, and I feel there's more about this Bokashi. <laughs> yeah, I just I just want to say about the Bokashi, and this will tie in some of the work I'm doing in Cork as well with the, the Cork Urban Soil Project. Um, you can get these large um machine 
composters, you know, mm. they're not for householders, no, they're for large use. They take hundreds of litres of food waste every week. I visited a place in London uh, in Hackney, very um, densely populated, high-rise apartments, where um, at, at the time, this was about 2005, I think, 2004 maybe, um, at the time they had a large um, composting machine near the, the housing estates or near the, the um, apartment blocks. And the council had given everybody Bokashi buckets. So mm. everybody, even in a high rise situation, everybody was able to collect their food waste, store their food waste in their apartment. And the council workers would go around once a week, mm. collect the full bucket, give everyone an empty bucket, and then they bring them all downstairs, put them into the composting machine, adding brown materials, and it was composted within the machine. The machine achieved a high temperature. Okay. Compost heats up just through the, just through chemistry. You know, when when um, when plant cell and animal cell walls break down, they, the heat is released. It's just, it's just basic chemistry. Same as if you get sunburn and your mm-hmm. skin starts dying, your skin gets hot. You know, or when you eat food, mm-hmm. start digesting, it gets hot in your stomach. Um. So it achieved a high temperature it, it composted really quickly and they were able to make um a very high quality compost from everybody's food waste and it it worked really well because it eliminated all of the problems associated with densely populated areas hmm. rats pigeons foxes all of these smells and all, all of these problems and everyone bought into it because it was so simple you know you just hmm. keep a small bucket in your apartment and you pass it on once a week <coughs> And oh yeah, um, the, the beauty of the high temperature composting as well is if you're putting meat and fish into a, a kind of a commercial composting situation or into a, um, you know, a group composting situation like that, you have to meet um, agricultural regulations. You have to kill off all of the pathogens okay. that would be present in the meat, fish or dairy products. Yeah, yeah. high temperatures through natural through the you know through a natural process of composting is one way of doing that mm-hmm. so bokashi is is not very well known but it's, it's something that it's really worth people's while to know about okay yeah i'll move on to wormeries i love yeah. wormeries um again for people living in a kind of a tight situation for people whose only organic waste is um, stuff from the kitchen, especially uh, fruit and veg waste, then a wormery is a very effective situation. So you don't need a garden to have a wormery. If you have a balcony, you know, if you're if you're feeling adventurous, you can keep a wormery in your bedroom. I personally wouldn't. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So like it's because it's quite compact and it's it's very kind of self-contained. Basically, a wormery is using certain types of worms, you know, a certain type of earthworm. But they're not the ones you find digging deep in your garden. They're not the okay. big and grey earthworms. They're the ones you might find on top if you have um, their surface dwelling, basically. If you have a mm. pile of compost, a pile of, you know, pile of animal manure, for example, if anyone has horses, you always find these quite small red worms, or, or often they have red and yellow stripes. Oh, yes, I know the ones, yeah. There are a couple of different species. Um, some of them are, are called tiger worms because of stripes. You know, tigers don't have red and yellow stripes, but... <laughs> and um the circus worms them? the circus worms circus worms yeah yeah you might find them in your garden or if you put a, like a, a piece of cardboard or a mat or something out in yeah. the ground a few days later you lift you find the worms and um, 
you know, they live on the surface, they, they eat organic matter, and they eat a lot of organic matter. Worms, especially when the weather is warm, because, of, because they're cold-blooded, they're more active in the warm weather. Okay. They, they can eat up to or more than half of their own body weight a day. So a kilogram of worms can process half a kilogram of food waste a day. That's a like lot, isn't it? YouTube, yeah. Look up YouTube uh, um, videos of composting worms in action. You all see them attacking melon or attacking banana mm. or something. Just reduce it to composting days. And so a wormery, basically, because these are surface-dwelling worms, they don't need to live in soil. They can be taken and put in um, any kind of moist organic matter like mm. wet cardboard, wet straw, wet paper, mm -hmm. um, or just some compost, some some well-aged horse manure or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they can they can live there, and you can add your your um, your fruit and vegetable waste, mm -hmm. and they eat it, and they break it down, and they, they make a really really high quality compost called worm yeah. castings, okay. which is very, very rich compost. So for people who want to compost only their fruit and veg waste, or for schools, then a wormery is a much more effective solution than your typical plastic compost bin. Okay. Uh, generally speaking, you know, you get different types of wormeries. You can buy wormeries that where you have trays that stack on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And the idea of that is when one tray is full, you put another tray on top, each tray has holes in the bottom, mm -hmm. and you start putting your food waste into the next tray, and the worms move up through the holes and then migrate mm -hmm. into the fresh food. And when you stack a few trays on top and they're all full, then by the time the worms have reached the top tray, everything in the bottom tray has been eaten and converted to compost. Yeah. So that's one way of getting the worms to move. And is that a fast process then with the wormery? <coughs> it is like, again, it varies. Um, it's faster when the weather is warm. Mm. But, you know, one kilogram of worms, half a kilogram of food waste a day is, is quite fast. Yeah. And... The kind of wormery that I'd recommend for a lot of situations is it might be a bit bigger in terms of footprint. It was like a wooden box, like like um, a blanket box, you know, something okay. like that. You are from plastic, but wood mm. really nice because it breathes a bit better. Um, you drill some drainage holes in the bottom, which is also those air to get up, and then you fill it up with wet cardboard, wet straw, mm. something like that, shredded up cardboard, shredded up newspaper, or a mix of these materials. Mm -hmm. You add one or two kilograms of worms, which you can either get from a pile of um, old horse manure, or you can buy these worms from a fishing shop. Mm -hmm. And you start um, adding your fruit and veg waste into the box. Now, I wouldn't okay. just put it on top. I'd bury it under the, what's called the bedding, you know, what the worms live in. Yeah. Uh, because if you have on the surface, you have a problem with smells and flies. If you bury it, you won't have those problems. Okay. Yeah. And going back to the whole thing about browns and greens that we were talking about earlier, you know, the carbon, the nitrogen. Mm. If you fill your warm box up with brown materials, moist, it has to be damp mm. to survive. Mm. You fill your warm bin up with brown materials, and then you're burying all your green materials in it. Got mm. your balance right. You know, you don't have mm. to worry about any more brown materials. Yeah. So the worms live in the box, they eat all of the food waste, but they'll also eat all of the brown materials. So yeah. after maybe six months to a year, they eat pretty much everything. So the volume goes way, way down. And what you want to do then is you want to freshen everything up. So because the volume's gone down, you can push everything over to one end, mm. fresh bedding on the other side, and start feeding in there. And all the mm -hmm. worms go, hey, fresh food, fresh bedding, they all move mm -hmm. over. So after a few weeks, the worms leave the finished compost move into the fresh bedding uh, okay. and you move all your finished compost and fill that side up with bedding and you've got a fresh box again then 
again it's nature telling us that the process is finished we're ready to go move on with the next one <laughs> that's brilliant that's and brilliant like i suppose with the warmer it's just taking care of their living creatures trying to avoid extremes of temperature keep them in the shade because they can't stand sunlight don't let it get too hot mm. don't let it get too cold you know insulation if possible in the winter keep it in the shade where, where the temperature is kind of moderate all year round mm. but as well the bigger the box the more forgiving it is okay it's, yeah um it's not so susceptible to temperature temperature extremes but as well if you do something wrong you know if you put in a lemon for example or a bunch of lemons mm. kill your worms worms there are chemicals in lemons that worms can't tolerate okay okay until, until the work until the lemons have decomposed to a certain point and those those chemicals have broken down so yeah. if you've got a small wormery and you will say you're on a juice diet or something you put in like a box full of lemons you kill all the worms okay yeah. box, if you had a big box like um you could make one from a sheet of plywood or something similar four feet wide you know yeah if you've got a big box like that and you put in a box full of lemons the worms just stay away from it for a few weeks mm, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 the, the lemons will all break down just through the actual mold and so on and then the worms will move back in and, and eat whatever's left you know yeah yeah so, a larger compost pile, a larger wormery gives you more flexibility, I suppose, with the food that you're putting into it, isn't it? Yeah. Because we all make mistakes, you know, you do something wrong and whatever, you let it dry out too much. If it's a big pile, the worms will find a moist patch. Yeah. If it gets too wet, there might be one drier patch where the worms can go, you know. So a larger pile generally works better than a smaller yeah. pile. I guess it comes down to you researching what you need and yeah. finding the compost method that's going to suit it's you like, best, depending on your space and, yeah. and your lifestyle, I guess, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like, but it seems pretty easy. I mean, I'm glad that you've kind of taken a bit of the fear out of it there for, I hope, a lot of people. Would you agree, Jack? Yeah, yeah. I would definitely agree. And I have to say as well, because people obviously listen to this, it's a podcast, they don't have video, but we use today we're using Zoom so that we can have a proper chat with you, Donald, but you're, you smiled the whole entire way through explaining to us how compost works. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, this, this man has made a compost like he's so connected <laughs> to the earth. <laughs> um, what difference do you think it would make to all of us and all our lives if composting became an integrated way and part of the way that we live? Okay, I think it would help. It would be one of many steps that that would be beneficial for us to start connecting back with nature. Mm. Something. Um, I mean, you can look at this at so many different levels, at a, a social level, an economic level, at a political level. Um, I tend, even though I didn't work in psychology, I, I am very much... I come at things a lot from a you know a point of view of what satisfies us, what make, makes us happy, what what turns us on, you know. Mm. And just at at a at a chemical, at a biological level, touching soil, being in contact with soil makes us happier. This mm. is scientifically proven that there are bacteria in soil that work with our bodies that activate mm. our, our um, generation of neurotransmitters and our, our ability to to um, to enjoy those neurotransmitters. Mm. So even just from the point of view of um, trying to reduce this this um, 
epidemic of of depression of mental illness then mm. I think, um more contact with the soil including composting is but very beneficial mm. i think we have to um get very serious we, we should always be serious as an island nation about food food security mm. um composting and composting at a local level is 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 an integral part of that you know you grow better food if you compost mm. you're more self-sufficient if you compost mm. you have control over your own processes if you compost mm. um from an environmental point of view composting as as we talked about earlier um helps to retain carbon within the soil helps to build up biodiversity in the soil compost is a living thing you know mm. your, your finished compost Compost goes through so many different stages. Um, in the early stage, you don't see much happening. You might see the materials changing color, getting softer. Mm. That's bacteria at work. You know, you can't mm. see them. Then you see the worms, you see the wood lice, the millipedes, the possibly ants, depending on the condition mm. of your compost pile. You see all the different creatures moving in and they do their job and they move out again. And then the finished compost, you don't see very much anymore. If you look at it, mm. or even one, one of those little um, eyeglasses, you can see maybe some tiny creatures moving around, but there's a lot happening in that compost. Mm. You introduce it to your soil, suddenly you're attracting earthworms, which mm. are feeding birds, feeding mammals, and so on. You're increasing the amount of um, bacteria in your soil. You're, you're making so much happen. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's all building up carbon. You know, the more life there is, the more opportunity for reproduction that there is in mm. the area. The more carbon is contained that in that area, we are carbon. You know, we're we're mm. made of carbon, mm -hmm. and the, the more life you can bring to a place, the more the more carbon you can keep in the soil, which is keeping it out of the atmosphere, which is just what we want. Yeah. So that's from the environmental point of view, and yeah, just just keeping everything local, keeping everything um, you know beneficial from the from the. Uh, point of view of being able to be sustainable if things go wrong we have our compost we have our seeds we have our food you know yeah yeah um, and like you know uh, the Cork Urban Soil Project with which I work and I know you spoke with Virginia um, a few weeks ago like that's very much about trying to give example of what can be done in within the city you know mm. people, I live in the city I can't grow food um, Cuba, there's, there's a beautiful film about Cuba, which was made maybe 20 years ago. It's called The Power of Community, and it's about okay. what happened when the Soviet Union collapsed and mm -hmm. Cuba was no longer being supplied by its communist ally with, with fertilizers and with machinery and so on. And they had to change. Okay. Uh, Cuban people got very thin very quickly. They had to buy a lot of bicycles very quickly because they weren't getting petrol and so on. <laughs> but they became very, very... Um, self-sufficient uh, and yeah. most food eaten within the capital Havana is is grown within the city you know okay they have wormeries they have compost really? piles they yeah have, you know, amazing I'm gonna um, check out that movie yeah yeah it's yeah it's, it's a beautiful film and yeah. it's like I think this film became popular in Ireland when people were talking about peak oil 20 years ago you know? okay yeah it's like, lovely what you know what way do we want our future to be yeah and how can we make things better and not just feel that we're trying to survive a crisis but that we're actually creating opportunities with working locally working with each other building up trust within the community and being in control of our own food and our own destinies 
lovely. Though, I, also, I also think that it has to be considered exponentially as well, because you have to, to use the opposite side of the fence, which is fertilizer. So if the idea is that compost is feeding the soil, feeding back into the soil, and fertilizer yeah. is a modern way in which industrialization has chosen to feed the soil, it's proven and we know and, and everyone's well aware that you must use more fertilizers and it's a race to the bottom and you're destroying your soil. But with compost, not only are you using up your waste and reintroducing it and, and, and making healthier soil, which makes better crops, the next round of compost is better again because the offcuts from the food you're eating is more nutritionally dense from the compost you had the first year. So it's a race to the top rather than a race to the bottom. The exponential, like considering this on a much lo longer t term scale, to consider that an, an area, locality, can have such such a better quality soil versus the reality, which is that the, the, the soil is degrading globally because of the use of fertilizers and the absence of correct um, composting methods. I always find that when you kind of lean into the economic considerations of things, they become quite easy for people to understand, or at least they become quite easy for people to realize that there's a, a possibility of moving forward. And I think that the commercial reality of composting is starting to come forward now as fertilizer rates go through the roof and yields start to drop. We spoke to a farmer, um, Kevin, in uh, Limerick, who was explaining to us that he'll get, well, Jolene, you might need to confirm this with me, was it 23 trusses on his tomato plants? Oh, yes, he was using the Korean natural farming method, um, Donald. So he was, um, I suppose, finding organic ways to, to fertilize his, uh, his crops. And he was very proud of his tomato. tomato yeah, because he, he wasn't afraid to talk about yield. It was like a you jungle. Know, he said, he said flavour is important and being good to my environment and my soil is important. But I got 23 trusses of, um, of tomatoes on, on, on my plants, you know, and, and the average being like nine to 11 or something on a fertilised plant. Yeah. So that's what I think is super motivating about stuff like this too. This this isn't about feeling good about about doing good work for the environment. Like this is an actual realistic scientific solution to problems. Yes. Which I find yeah. uplifting. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I think you could call that mic drop, like you've just finished, you just said it all there, really. In that, like I suppose we've had hundred, hundred plus years of of um, you know, inorganic industrialized farming methods based on exploitation. You know, it's very easy for me to become a rich cotton plantation holder if I can get all my my slaves to do my work for me for free. That's fine <laughs> until I, until I run out of slaves. Um, similarly, it's it's very cheap maybe in the short term to have industrialized farming with um, chemicals, chemical fertilizers extracted from fossil fuels, that, that roundabout is coming to a halt. You know, that, mm. that ability to exploit cheap natural um, resources and, and say that we're doing something that's economically viable is, mm. is coming to a halt, you know? Um, whereas, composting and local gardening is, as far as I can calculate, an infinitely sustainable process mm. and, in fact, could very easily be a moneyless process, you know, if you have seed saving and making your own compost. And, of course, people have to bring in organic material as well. 
but that can be done in in free ways you know you can mm. do things like grow comfrey comfrey is an amazing plant for introducing fertility uh you know growing what are called green manures which emerge from the you know the is, is in the air you don't need to process natural gas to make nitrogen you know mm. you can just go go lagoons mm. and like these are organic methods and they are as you know there's if they're not infinitely sustainable they're certainly many degrees more sustainable than than industrialized farming or industrialized um uh supplies for gardening mm, wonderful um donald before we um before we finish up this conversation which i feel can go on for hours i'd love to know how are the guys getting on at cusp the cork urban soil project because you're part of the team there now what's been the update there okay yeah so cork urban soil project which i've only been involved in for a few months is is a beautiful, uh, very forward-thinking project. It's it's operated by um, a group working out of uh, my goodness, the, mm. the 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 food company in in the marina. So they have a composting machine, mm. and obviously they're you know they, they they sell food, they they process ingredients to make the food. So they have a lot of um, uh, fruit and vegetable waste. They have a lot of fermented waste. Um, obviously, not a lot because they're, they're very frugal. But um, there's always going to be a certain amount of waste. All of this waste goes into the composting machine, along mm. with raw material, which again mm. typically is waste stuff like cardboard from packaging, and it's processed in the machine. It's kept turned. It's kept aerated, and it's it, it's. You know, a cow has four stomachs. This machine has two stomachs. Mm. Well, it stays in one stomach for two weeks. Then it's it's allowed into the second stomach for for the kind of maturing um part of the process. Mm-hmm. And four weeks after going in, it comes out as um more or less finished compost. So the Cork Urban Soil Project um has come out of this, and I suppose it has a number of of streams, but it's all about again sustainability, local resourcefulness, mm. local resilience. And reducing packaging waste, reducing plastic packaging, especially by making everything compostable mm-hmm. and um, being able to process that compostable material locally. So where it's at at the moment now is we're working towards um, setting up a, a garden on a very interesting site, let's call it. It's a very mm. steep bank, which doesn't get much sunlight because it's in between buildings, the, the, the big old factories at Marina, the old Dunlop and Ford factories. Mm and it doesn't get much light it's quite a steep bank it's going to be used as kind of a, a living laboratory and um, already in, in cork city you have st stephen's there uh, up above um barrack street above tower street you, you have a, a living laboratory there st stephen's uh, sustainable food laboratory where they're they're basically growing in an old basketball court they're growing on tarmac just by introducing mm. oil so this is i suppose a bit similar in outlook and that is trying to show what can be done to grow food locally using local inputs in terms of compost generation within the um, same project. Mm. So the, the garden is in, in planning stage and there's some, if it's going to be anywhere like the drawings, it's going to be absolutely gorgeous and <laughs> open to the public, you know, we'll be open to bring groups in there and so on. They can see the gardens, they can see the composting machine, they can see yeah. everything that's going on. But also indoors, we have just started growing microgreens so these are vegetables grown indoors, um, either using sunlight where possible or it's using artificial light. And they're just micro, they're, they're grown to a very small stage and they're harvested when they're very mm-hmm. young. 
and you're full of nutrients and it's just you have very quick turnover. It's a very efficient way of growing vegetables and getting your nutrients into your body. Yeah. If you only have a windowsill to work from, or even if you can only, you know, buy an artificial light, grow light and, and grow your, your microgreens like that. So it's it's still in, in an early stage of of its ambitious uh, plan, mm. but it's it's starting to look good. It's it's a very exciting to work in. Yeah, it's springtime now, so it's going to be all happening. It's all action, yeah. And if and if people want to listen back to one of our previous episodes, um, I went along and interviewed uh, Virginia, and it's all about food waste is not waste, and all about the composting and the urban soil project. Donald, um, if people want to find out more about you and your company, Waste Down, how can they find you? How can they get in touch with questions about okay, compost? So I, I have I have a website, wastedown.com, W-A-S-T-E-D-O-W-N. Um, I'm on Facebook <coughs> and Instagram as um, Waste Stone and Waste Stone Composting. Um, you can email me, Donald at wastestone.com. Um, I, I'm my own agent. If anyone wants to book me, I'm available. Um, so, but really, it's just about you know trying to um, just try to help people and. Um, and make this work, trying to get people yeah. composting, trying to get people to enjoy composting. And when you say people want to book you, are we talking like school groups, community groups? Um, who, 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 would, who would book you? Okay, generally speaking, it would be, yeah, community groups such as, for example, Tidy Towns groups or mm-hmm. you know, active retirement groups, um, um, local development companies. Um, I, I've done a lot of work for local authorities or you know, the, the city yeah. and county councils. Companies, um, I have a special rate for millionaires <laughs> and listeners of this podcast. And this is all. Donald, thank you, thank you so um, much. Like any opportunity to to work with people, and the larger the group, the better. Uh, just one more thing I'd like to say is sure. I'm hoping I'm hoping there's what's called kin kinship project, which is kind Ooh. of a an environmental slash art project centers around the Tremor Valley Park. Mm. Um, I'll be doing a talk there. I hope if all goes well, I will be doing a talk there on the 24th of April. Brilliant. Okay, great. Well, do you know what? You've actually given me an amazing um, list of resources and that's Composting Ireland, Stop Food Waste, um, a whole lot of different things. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll post all these into um, the show notes. So if people are interested in finding out more about compost, obviously they can contact you, try it themselves or refer to these resources, which are amazing and free. Absolutely. All free. Yep. And thank you so much to Donal. Really enjoyed chatting to him. And I genuinely learned quite a lot. Yeah, me too. I got to say it was super, super, super informative and a whole lot of crack. Thank you, I Donald. You're the a explanation. legend. I loved the explanation about the woodland floor. It just yeah, made the, the perfect forest sense. Was very no? good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just love that nature just shows us the way the whole time. You don't really need to look that far. The answer is there. It's right underneath our feet. Um, if anybody wants to find out more about Donald, do visit his website. It's wastedown.com. And of course, as we said, he's part of the Cork Urban Soil Project, so you can meet him up there too. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Yeah, next week we are going to be talking to Una Monaghan, who is a food business consultant. So we're going to be talking about sustainability in your food business.
yeah, we're going to be getting into the nitty gritties of starting a food business because quite a lot of people have done that and are continuing to do that, which is fantastic. And she looks at some of the pitfalls and we talk a little bit about her book, which is a bit of a Bible in how to start a food business in Ireland or the UK. Money for jam. Yeah, exactly. All right. Until then, over and out. See you soon. Bye.